We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, everyone. Welcome into another Buzz Beat. Uh, this is Richie, and I'll be joined by Brian and Spencer. As always, this episode is brought to you by our partners, Bet Online, and visit betonline.ag. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our last episode, we had the opportunity to speak with uh, Charleston senior guard Grant Riller as he's preparing for the NBA draft in these weird times. He shared his thoughts on the limited access to the gyms, his floater game, and and really much, much more. Please do give that interview and episode a listen. Uh, it was a lot of information. It was good information coming from somebody who's experiencing the NBA draft process during this time. For today's episode, we're going to look at the potential, possible resumption of the NBA season with all signs pointing to kind of a mid-July start in Orlando. I figured we share our thoughts on, on some of these proposed ideas that have been floating around out there. Brian and Spencer, this is starting to feel a little bit more real. How's everything going with you guys? Excited about maybe the potential for the NBA coming back? Definitely excited to see the NBA back uh, or perhaps nearing the possibilities for how it's going to come back. Uh, certainly step one was finding a location. It feels like step two is determining format and the amount of teams and obviously we've seen some estimates based off reporting over at the athletic and certainly espn has been all hands on deck with this as well too about you know the amount of testing that would be needed and the, and the personnel that would be required to to sort of like work and operate the bubble city and actually help put on these games via broadcast and the referees and game operations and stuff like that so if, again it, it feels Good to have uh, basketball perhaps returning, even if it sort of requires you having to block out some of the potential like logistic 
concerns and possible political concerns too, as far as testing goes. Yeah. I mean, you know, echo a lot of that. It's, it's exciting to see some things heating up, I guess a little bit. It should be exciting for all of us to see basketball is likely going to come back in some form, you know, this season, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many competing factors and agendas and Mm -hmm. um, you know, the health concerns and players, you know, being away from their families you know, maybe for two or three months, like just things that were like, oh yeah, this would be cool. We can watch basketball on TV, but there's just, there's a lot, a lot that goes into making this work. So we'll be interesting to discuss some of these different, um, these different scenarios that the the league's looking at. Yeah. So let's first get into some like newsy information here. We're actually recording this on Tuesday, May 26th. And this was the day that the Hornets opened up their practice facilities for voluntary workouts. Uh, no media is uh, invited to this. It's it's strictly just players and assistant coaches. Four players max in this practice facility at once with coaches having to wear masks and gloves. So it's, it's definitely something here. It, it's not obviously a, a full-on five-on-five practice in, in running sets like that, but it does feel like, you know, that these are some steps in the right direction. It, it might just feel like a shoot-around, but clearly these are steps in the right direction of opening you know the door for the nba to return the first thing that i think that we should probably talk about is the site of these new nba games that are proposed and all all signs the front runner for this is uh, orlando this is where they're going to potentially resume its season i think there was some thought early on that there could be maybe two locations maybe one in orlando and somewhere one out west to accommodate you know, both conferences, maybe to get in games a little bit quicker, having, you know, split the teams up. Uh, But it now just seems like there's going to be one host city. My thoughts on this with the one location, I think it's smart, guys, to contain these players to one location. It does keep things safer in this quote-unquote bubble city. And you definitely have to choose a location that has everything that you would need in a short distance. And I think that's why this is such an appealing place to go to because there's housing, there's food, there's all these amenities within this resort. has plenty of hotel space for the players to, to, to stay at on the property. You also have to consider if all 30 teams are going, and that's still kind of up in the air, uh, logistics are going to be tough. But Disney does have tons tons of basketball courts available for practices. And I, I think they even threw out the idea of maybe having a two week training camp down in Orlando. Uh, so it's definitely going to have that like Vegas summer league feel to it. Uh, but BG, what are your thoughts on this as the NBA is looking to start their season or in Orlando? Do you think this is a good idea? Would you rather prefer maybe two cities or kind of, kind of share your thoughts on this, on the logistics of it all? I'm all about, centralizing stuff as much as possible and creating as many layers as possible too. So yes, in my mind, finding one location, ESPN Water World Sports Complex in Orlando makes perfect sense. Um, I think they're, you know, the Vegas scenario at the, one of the casinos there in the ballroom, like that could have worked out too, where they have some G League events, but no, this makes, this makes the most sense. Three arenas, 220 acres there. So, yes, I think this, with some of the suggested steps for testing that we've seen put into, that could be put into place, could, could work out, actually. Um, you know, we don't have a vaccine. So it is all about creating these, these layers, these buffers between, you know, a player or a group of players testing positive for the coronavirus. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the two-week training camp. But on top of that, you've even got to think about probably a two-week 
quarantine isolation for everyone when they get there that right now is the minimum that that you're seeing um that's in place for the state of florida so it's going to take some time to get this up and running you know are there going to be exhibition games or scrimmages before you know whatever the the regular season or postseason format looks like um again it's there's so many different balls in the air as spencer mentioned a couple minutes ago and it does feel like no matter what a lot of people, some people are going to be unhappy. Like there's going to be a couple franchises and fan bases that are not going to like the results here. Some star players that aren't going to like it or, or anything. It's just, it's going to happen. But the league and the, and the commissioner and the players association, they've all been given a totally, you know, unprecedented scenario. It's, it's incredibly difficult. You just got to find the thing that makes the most sense for everyone. And I think that starts with finding a location and finding a format and they they've done at least one part of that it seems like you know not officially but unofficially officially with uh down in orlando all right let's take a break real quick uh there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner bet online nascar is back and bet online has hundreds of other games events and sports to get in on you can still bet on simulated nfl nba and ufc events 24 7 or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling, quote, the final dance, end quote. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that I think the league should try to get as many teams involved in this as they possibly can. I, I, you know, as Brian mentioned, I know there's certainly different feelings. You know, some teams are like, no, 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 we're, we're good packing it in for the year, you know, per, you know, keeping our powder dry with this lottery um, percentage and and we don't need to come back to basketball and and then there's other teams I think very much like Charlotte who's like no great we're in the top ten uh, if we do twenty teams and we don't you know do this biased by conference then that gets us in the cut and, and we get to you know get our young roster some some meaningful minutes uh, albeit in maybe an empty gym but I, I think the point is made so you know I I think the NBA the NBA's got to put a product out on the floor that's going to mean something to fans and. I understand why, you know, conventional wisdom probably says, you know what, when this all shakes out, it's probably 16 teams. But that's not going to create buzz in the NBA's marketplace, like trying something new and using this as a platform to get creative, as, you know, everyone has discussed since all this began, because the NBA was already hot on this topic. Um, I think I think it would be a big mistake if the league now, albeit, can they realistically get 20 to 24 teams in one location? You know, everything that Brian was saying about, you know, the three gyms and, um, and and Richie's talking about all the amenities. I mean, is it possible to have that many humans, staff members in one place and make it work? If it's not, then it's off the table. If it is, I think the NBA has to do it. I think they have to try something new here. Just to bring 16 teams back and finish the season in, in a playoff format in empty gyms, 
I, I don't think that's the best use of this opportunity. And yes, the NBA has to be careful, but they also have to view this as an opportunity. The uh, Just real quickly, if the NBA restarted and just did all 30 teams, which that seems unlikely. Like if, it, <laughs> if it's going to be more than 16, it feels like it's going to be one of these other flex formats. But if it was all 30 teams finishing up all 82 games, there's 259 games left of inventory. Without back-to-backs, that would take – 33 days according to some estimates for them to finish out and it would the nba plus hotel staffing that they would need on hand would be about 1500 people that would be deemed essential that's referees Mm. that's tv producers hotel employees and about 1100 or so of that comes from the nba so do the math you got about three to four hundred hotel employees and stuff like that um, those numbers could change by certain percentages, which certainly matter on the margins if you made some changes with room service and with meals, too. So, again, those are just a couple numbers to throw out with all that. And, Richie, I'm sorry to, to jump no, in there. Before you I was just going to piggyback off of Spencer's. Like, if all 30 teams do come down to Orlando, clearly, and, and you kind of mentioned this, too, the schedule for next season, you, you got to start looking at that in terms of how far it's going to be moved back. And, you know, if you experiment some some things, uh, you know, down in Orlando and you bring all 30 teams down, next season might not start until, like, November. And, and people have projected Christmas, maybe, or, or Christmas, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, late November or, or even Christmas. And I think maybe that's the way to go and you're not competing with the NFL, but that's another consideration. I think that with that survey, which we'll talk about in a minute here, uh, that was also sent out to the GMs and the, and the organizations, you know, how late do you want this thing going? Because clearly there's an off season that you have to worry about as well. So I think teams don't want to go very long without playing, having, you know, suspended their play back in March. But again, you can't have this season going on forever. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, yeah, Christmas is like definitely the, for the 2020, 21 season, mm-hmm. that's the deadline. Like they yeah. got, they, yeah. they can't miss out on that Christmas day revenue. And really I, you probably just realistically can't get a full season in by after that date anyway. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think the way that you try to get this done and this is before like it, depending a lot, there's so many factors here, depending on what kind of format you come back with. This is one of the reasons why I think you just came back with the the 16 teams and however you want to seed them. And we will certainly discuss that more later too. But it's like, if you start that in July, mid to late July, like you can be done with that getting kind of like relatively close to Labor Day weekend, which I'm guessing people in the NBA are seeing as somewhat of a, if not soft than a like hard wall for them to run against, because that's essentially when the NFL starts mm-hmm. and I'm guessing they don't want um, final conference finals or whatever final four games and the title games going up against Monday night football. And I mean, obviously you can move stuff around too, but assuming you were out by labor day and if you were back by say Christmas, well then all of a sudden the, that off season, while it's going to be, screwy with the draft and with and with who knows what free agency and the cap looks like but like just in terms of the the time frame off it's about the same to a normal nba off season you know versus versus like when the league usually ends you know the the draft is in late june and teams start you know training camp in in late september or whatever well, so it's it's, it's yeah. a similar it's not ideal obviously like none of these none of these solutions are going to be ideal but i think that at least fits a calendar that would work best for the nba essentially 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think competing with the NFL is certainly something that they they probably don't want to do. But, you know, players got to remember, too, they've had a lot of time off here. I mean, I understand yeah. that a lot of them have still been working out and they're still trying to stay in, in season mode. But, like, it, when, when push comes to shove, when we try to transition from season to season here, they might have to give a little bit of time back. I mean, I think, I think they're going to have to. I feel like they're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. And they're going to have to be okay with that. I mean, they've had a yeah. lot of time, downtime here. Right. Two, two and a half months off. It is crazy. Like, we really are at six weeks. Like, the league right, right. closed up March 12th. We're recording this on, on May 26th. So, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been six weeks, or pardon me, 10 weeks. That kind of gives me an idea, like, you know, the the English Premier League every so often, or not every so often, maybe every year, they have international breaks. Like, you know, just give, give yeah. these give these players some breaks other than that all-star break. Uh, before we move on to maybe some of the possible formats on how this NBA season could end, I just thought of this question, like, how do you think it's going to look? Because clearly, if you get all these teams and players down to Orlando and, and you're trying to keep it safe, you're going to want to test these players I'm assuming before every game or every what you know whatever it may be, you know if how you is do it going it daily? That would be ideal, right? But that might not be yeah. feasible. But I guess my question is whether it's the MLB, whether it's the NBA, like how how is this going to look in the public's eyes that these sports <laughs> leagues have all these COVID tests when yeah. it feels like the tests are limited to the general public? Well, I think that's like part of the. <clears throat> you know, I, I think there's this fine line; it's invisible, nobody can see it, but like. You know, mental health comes into this conversation too, and and and, and you know you're you're doing this for revenue reasons and to get in the season and to protect the integrity of all these different leagues, and you're also doing it for the mental health and enjoyment and entertainment value for your fan base, which is very very important. Is what is going to carry you forward for decades. So like. I understand why a lot of people would look at these leagues coming back online and getting testing maybe daily, maybe every other day, you know, taking temperature every time somebody goes in and comes out of a building, you know, but again, at the same time, there's this fine line, like how do you balance the entertainment value and the mental health value for the country and the fans? And then, you know, this is a large population of people we're talking about here. It's not just the leagues and the players and the owners. Like the mm-hmm. fans ha- are, are a big factor in all of this, right? And, and, and the people so, that work around the teams too, as well. Right. That they, they get to come back online and, and receive paychecks. So, and, and this is just a larger, you know, not to take this down a political rabbit hole, but this is the larger debate that's going on in the country right now. Anyways, you know, it's just the same, yeah. it's the same debate just in a micro version. So I think that the NBA is going to be more progressive than many other leagues, probably the most progressive. I think that if they feel like they are doing a serious disservice to American society, then they will not, you know, they're not going to take any chance. They're not going to test, you know, guys multiple times a day. But I think there are other ways, you know. I think if you've listened to the Low and Woj, you know, double podcast today, they talked about a lot about taking temperature um, and really trying to zero in on this asymptomatic problem and conversation you hear, you know, you might not know you have it, you're carrying it. You might not know your temperature's up a little bit. So, you know, those cheaper, less invasive ways to maybe track, um, yeah. you know, this virus in a controlled setting, can you use those tools to really feel like you're keeping uh, the people safe? So it's just, it's crazy to me because it's so layered, you know, it is yeah. so complex of an issue. But you use the right word there too, which is layers. And if you could, if you work in some of those methods, the 
uh, keeping up with tracking symptoms, tracking body temperature. That's just building another layer because there's no perfect solution. There's no vaccine and this virus exists and it transmits very efficiently. But so you're trying to build other layers, buffers between someone getting sick and passing it to someone else. And so doing stuff like that helps. But like Richie, to your question, like, yeah, it's not a, like PR wise. It's not, it's not a good, it's not a great look. And it's, it really stinks that we live in, in a world where there are citizens that don't have access to this test that, that they need it. it it's a, it is obviously it's a public health crisis. And so it, it maybe doesn't look great for a uh, private organization like the NBA to say, hell, if we need thousands of tests, like we know we got them. And they do like the, the NBA feels secure that they will not have like a shortage of testing and access to testing that they'll, that they'll need. Um, and while I'm sympathetic to all those concerns, and, and again, this is part of a, a deeper uh, conversation for another time on, you know, public health and, and healthcare, but like, I'm, I, you know, what I'm more bothered by is a federal government that is unable to provide the necessary testing for its citizens than I am for a thing like the NBA to go get testing for its employees. Do you know what I mean? Like that we're, if you're getting mad specifically at the NBA and I get that it's not a good, great look, it, I don't know. There's a bigger picture issue here that extends just beyond the NBA siphoning off X number of testing uh, for itself, you know? And, and so I don't know. And I would add to that, you know, the NBA and all these leagues, they they are being, whether you agree with it or not, um, the federal government is, is in essence, pushing them towards coming back online. They want them to resume. Yeah. They're trying to make yeah. it safe. And so, so, you know, from the leadership, the top level, these leagues are, you know, kind of doing what any league would do uh, to try to come back online and save some revenue and, and provide something yeah. for fans. Now, I think that what has to be mentioned, though, is the NBA and all these leagues are assuming a lot of risk by doing this. When you think of the doomsday scenario of a second act of the Rudy Gobert saga Mm -hmm. happening in Orlando, like that, that has, I I don't know if a league like recovers from that financially, like in my lifetime, like that can have such severe wounds, you know, long term. So, it's not that um, these – that just has to be remembered. These leagues are assuming a lot of risk by doing this. Yeah, uh, it's a great – that's a great point. And I don't know if the – I'll be curious to see what comes out at the end of this week or if they sort of kick the can down the road on coming up with a solution for – or contingencies for what happens if a couple guys test positive. You know what I mean? What do you, what do, you do then? Right. Because then you got to think about, you know, the teammates that they have been, you know, around and like, do you, totally, do you yeah, remove the team exactly. from the actual tournament? Like what, what happens then? So it becomes, and, and, it, becomes yeah. it becomes a crisis health wise for what's left of, of your entertainment property. And it becomes a, a just a, a bloody PR mess too well, beyond yeah. basketball. Yeah, exactly. Like the, 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 the greatest uh, risk is the health risk, right? And the PR right. risk, I think comes second you know, for the NBA. And then third is like, do you shut it all down if that happens? And then if you have to do that, like if, if you don't do that, it's just going to be more PR backlash. Yeah. And, if, and if you do, how many millions of dollars that you paid to bring all this back 
have you now just lit on fire? Like I just, I, it is, it's frightening to think about Mm -hmm. the domino effect that could have negatively. So anyways, but yeah, I I think there's a lot of risk assumed by the league. I I think in the grand scheme of thing, when you look at these healthy in shape basketball players, they're not the concern in the sense that, yeah, yeah, they may pick up the the symptoms and they may be suffering from COVID, but you have coaches and players that are within the the arena or whatever that are older. And those are the ones that are more at risk. So I I think the actual players, yes, they, they can, they can get through it from everything that we've seen. It's just more about who they've, you know, interacted with on a daily basis that that could be the issue. All right. So let, let's transition to some of these conclusions to the NBA season. Uh, Shams of the athletic reported a little less than a week ago that the NBA GMs received a survey late Friday night of May 22nd, that they wanted to gauge how the organizations would like to end the season. You know, Adam Silver and his crew are proposing a a training camp for four weeks, which I believe two was in the home city and two down in Orlando. And just trying to begin play when there's comfortable testing for all these players. But the most interesting things to come out of this survey is how this season would end. Uh, So here are some of the suggestions that they kind of put out there. One of them is just kind of going straight to the playoffs. I'm assuming that there would be some kind of exhibition or or training games before the, the straight to the playoffs or any of these scenarios worked out. So you have that option. You have this option called the playoff plus option, which really has some variations within it. Could potentially include a play in game for the final seeds and have up to as many, I think, 12 teams per conference, so a total of 24 teams potentially. And they also said that teams can maybe play some regular season games. You know, right now, Hornets are sitting at 65 regular season games. Uh, If they were to go back to Orlando and play a couple more, maybe get it up to 72 or 76 regular season games, there's a lot of different options and conclusions to this NBA season. I, I know there's some combinations here and some variations, but... Spencer, is there one option that sticks out to you, regardless whether it's related to the Hornets or not? Which one do you prefer or you're most intrigued to buy? Well, let me preface it by saying that, yeah, what I'm intrigued by and what I would prefer is going to is going to lean heavily towards the small market side. I mean, I, it's just like I'm interested in the Hornets coming out in this in a good way on the court and also from a revenue generating standpoint. And I, and, and I think that lifestyle is much harder on small markets. So you know, I, I like the idea of this playoff plus or kind of World Cup uh, group play kind of deal. You know, anywhere from 20 to 24 teams. I, I think if you feel like it's realistic and it's safe enough um, and you can just make it work with 24 teams, I think try that. I mean, like get as many fans, markets reengaged as possible, right? Um, that, that would seem to be the smartest thing to me. So I like I really like the playoff plus idea. I love the idea of this young roster for the Hornets being able to get some meaningful minutes here late in the season. And I'm I'm very interested for all these young guys if they're still in shape. What have they what has Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier been doing the last two and a half months? It's very possible, not very much. <laughs> I've <laughs> seen Devontae Graham. Crap. I've seen Devontae Graham on an exercise bike on Instagram. So but that's, that's, that's about, that's about the extent of it. Yeah, yeah. He's like me, basically, at my in my crappy my crappy office here in Raleigh. Right, right. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, back to your question, Richie, like I, I like the playoff plus format because and we talked about this in the pod. I, I can't remember how long ago times a flat circle now since this all started. But, you know, we talked about the Hornets were hot. You know, they were really hot right before all this happened. Um, not that they were really realistically going to make a run at the eight seed, but they were playing good basketball. Uh, Devontae's game was starting to come back online. Terry was playing great. Um, you know, McDaniels, young guys like this getting run. So it feels like 
like Charlotte could be a team that would would come into a playoff plus format, whether it's a play in format mm-hmm. or whether it's like a World Cup style group play, and play hard and and be frisky and make things interesting. And then the other thing I would say is that if I'm Charlotte, if I'm Michael Jordan, have anything to do with ownership of this team, I'm very very interested in getting however many games, I think five, if they played 65, they need five more games to satisfy mm. this, this local TV deal. I'm very interested in getting that done. That revenue, I, I cannot overstate how important that revenue is for cities like Charlotte and Memphis and Orlando. And, and I know I'm leaving out some small markets here that don't sell out every game. That, that revenue is so key. I know that's not the most important thing here, but it's much more important for teams that are placed outside of Chicago, New York, and LA. Especially as they've lost, you know, a half dozen or so home games to close out the season, right? Because of the pandemic, like that Correct. money's just yep. that's that money's just gone already. I'll be curious to see. I have a couple things that I haven't seen quite drawn out yet. Um, you know, Spencer, you mentioned this a couple times here. Hornets sitting at 65 games. They need to perhaps get to 70 to satisfy the the regional sports network deal and, and make sure that that money's whole or whatever. The thing I would say to that is, is like, how do these games, if they're isolated in Orlando, how does that get on Fox Sports South? Right. Do you, does that make any sense? It's like they. I, I read one of the ESPN reports over the weekend had – you know, they basically could pair televising these games down to like five camera operators and you've got broadcasters in some remote studio or whatever, and maybe some more producers on hand at, at the game or whatever. But like, it, I'm guessing an ESPN.com story written about that is involving like an ESPN booth. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even like, I'm guessing Del Curry and, and Eric Collins and aren't going to, and Ashley Shambody aren't going to go down to Orlando no. to like do some, to broadcast these games. So I, I'll be curious to see how that even works out. If that is in fact, something that comes into play. And then I'd also be curious to know too, like, if you do have some of these play in scenarios, how does it impact your lottery odds? Like as much as I'd like to see Charlotte continue to play games and yeah, it's like because of they were hot towards the end of the season because Devante is such a, like a, a flammable, you know, offensive weapon, like they could get hot and do some damage, but like it, so it'd be cool to see them maybe sneak into the, the playoffs or whatever here, but I don't know, man. I kind of want them to have a top 10 pick too uh, in Charlotte. So it's like, would you, would you, if you were going to have some scenario like this, where you're going to take 20 teams or 24 teams and come up with some sort of play in scenario, or if you go into the world cup scenario too, that kind of like pool play, you're basically just starting the postseason then too. So does that change the accounting with the regional sports networks too? Maybe, maybe not, but you know, would you draw the lottery lines at how they set were set March 12th? And then do you say, look, these are going to be the 14 teams in the lotto, no matter what, but now we're also going to have these play in tournaments too. I mean, if you're going to protect, like if you're thinking out for, if you're thinking for in the interest of small market teams and Charlotte perhaps specifically, that is like the best case scenario that we say, like you have, you have the same exact right. chance of, of winning the lottery. You know, you're still going to be slotted in. You're likely to get a top 10 pick here. And that's, that can't be risked by you trying to win a play in tournament and then, you know, make become like the, the eighth seed or the 16th seed or whatever in, in right. this bracket. Um, all of that is stuff that I would want 
hammered out. You know, there's no, there's going to be no ideal solutions here. You're just trying to find the thing that makes the most sense. Um, and in the case of this pod, we're lo- probably looking out for the Hornets too. Well, to be honest, I, I, I am not necessarily like when I looked at this, I, I tried to look at it as objectively as possible. I think a lot of these options are very intriguing and could be very entertaining. I, I think the group stage thing seems very up my alley, soccer-esque, most creative totally. of them all. I, I think it would create some excitement and some buzz kind of heading into the postseason or wh- or whether you're like you said, Brian, maybe it's just considered part of the postseason. You know, maybe you could have a, a, a 12 teams from each conference, four groups of three type of thing, and the top two teams advanced, you know, to form those eight seeds. I'm not really sure how it would work, uh, but to me, that would be the most exciting of them all. I will say this, you know, and this is probably not going to make Hornets fans happy, but it does seem a little bit unfair to those teams that are currently ranked seventh and eighth in those conferences. I mean, we, we have Orlando, who's five and a half games ahead of the ninth seed in the East, which is what, Washington? And then you yes. got Memphis, who's, you know, only three and a half games ahead of Portland. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, it, it just kind of feels a little bit unfair, especially if you did that play-in tournament for that seventh or eighth seed. I actually think the soccer format, the group stage, actually probably will be a wash in the end. I, I think the teams that are the best will come out of those group stages because you're playing multiple games. I'm assuming this play-in tournament for the, the bubble teams would be like a, a single elimination type of thing and that could be risky especially for a team like Orlando who has played so well not well but who has played you know okay <laughs> up until this point to have a lead of five and a half games just be reversed by one single game in a in a play-in tournament so I, I see both sides I'm torn you know as someone that follows the Hornets I think the Hornets would want any shot that they can get you know if, if they take 20 teams down to Orlando 10 and 10 from each conference, Charlotte it would be right there. But I, I do think it's a little bit unfair and it might slightly invalidate the regular season a little bit. Yeah. And, and, or, and I would just say too, you could set this up so that it's, that it's imbalanced that you weren't taking that. If you set up a 20 team bracket, maybe it had, it wasn't 10 from each conference. You know what I mean? So and then yeah. you have a play in tournament with it all just being, you know, Western conference teams, or whatever. Um, and then I'll just toss this in and so I can, so Spencer, you can jump in here too, but just like all of these contingencies are in all of these possibilities. It's not like you're, they're trying, the NBA is trying to split the atom to come up with something that's equitable and fair. Like none of these, like, I think some people are like, Oh, this stuff's, this stuff is just too complicated. Let's just go one through 16. Like it's, it's not that complicated, but I do think because they're, you're, it's just added complexity on top of what is an already, uh, a crazy scenario. It's one of the reasons why and if we're all about mitigating risk because the NBA is taking on such an incredible risk and in even putting together this operation, that's ultimately why I think one through 16 in some order makes the most sense because it's just, the, it's just the easiest way to get, it, it toggles, it toggles the line between tradi- what's tradition in the league and what also probably mitigates risk at the highest rate among all of the other scenarios even if it leaves some teams frustrated or, uh, you know, on the outside looking in in more than one way. Yeah. 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 The one through 16, I think you're right, Brian. I think that that uh, <laughs> limits how angry or upset certain teams can be, but in all these scenarios, to your point, somebody is going to be, you know, going to be dissatisfied with, with the result. Richie, I think to your point, you know, like when I think of a Brooklyn and Orlando, I think, all right. Well, I would understand that argument if we had never been talking about some kind of reform, 
But we've, but th- like this reform, this playoff postseason reform, whether it be playing, playing group stage, whatever, this has been a hot topic for the NBA before this season began, right? So mm-hmm. like we've been talking about this for a long time. We got a lot of smart people that have been coming out with, uh, with different ideas. Um, to me, with Brooklyn and Orlando, they're so far behind the rest of the East. It's it's pretty relative. There's more of a gap than like Washington and Charlotte are behind those teams. So it's like, so just like I hear all these people saying Washington and Charlotte, yeah, it's you know, it's nice that you might be able to sneak into this this creative, you know, playoff plus system or group play system and have a chance to play meaningful games, but be better. Well then why can't we say the same thing about Brooklyn and Orlando? I mean, yeah. they play in a stinky conference and they're just not bad enough to be, you know, to be the sacrificial lamb in the first round. So, so why do we have to celebrate them just because they've fit this traditional sense of playoffs that we were already, already ready to scrap, you know? So to mm-hmm. me, the leverage really falls with Adam Silver, who I think definitely wants to change some things up. I, I think that, that is definitely not, uh, that's not a secret at this point. The leverage falls more on his side to where he says, look, guys, this is different for everybody. Our lives every single day that we wake up right now are different. Um, and we're, and we're going to use this again, to my point at the beginning as an opportunity to try some new things because it, you know, nothing we do to try to finish this season is going to be the perfect idea. But we, at some point we have to use this as a chance to, to test some things and, and try to move mm-hmm. things forward for this league, which we were already talking about doing. So Sorry, Orlando uh, and Brooklyn. You know what, Orlando and Brooklyn? Why don't you just win the games? Why don't yeah. you just go win the playing games and get into the tournament? If you're the better team, then go prove it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sorry, I just I don't have that much sympathy for teams that are still bad, but just good enough to sneak into our you know stinky dinosaur playoff you know model that we've used. Yeah, yeah, and it's I think for I think it's pretty obvious. Silver, if he could get one through sixteen, regardless of conference, like he. He would have done that two years ago, three years ago, if he could have, you know what I mean? I would be curious to see if they do that. Like, let's say hypothetically, they just take the 16 teams. Let's say like they, they, they do honor the conferences. They take each, they take eight teams from each conference, but then they just throw those teams into one pool and then reorganize them one through 16. I like that option. Yeah, I do. I I think that option makes a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. What I was going to say is, a, it leads to some really enticing <laughs> matchups in the first and second round. Like really, like if you took the seating the way it is now, um, I think it would set up to be Miami, Oklahoma City, eight nine, Boston and Philadelphia. Um, but then all of a sudden, it, it puts all of a sudden it puts the Clippers on the same side of the bracket as the fourth seed as Milwaukee. So all of a sudden Giannis and the Bucks would have to go through the Clippers and then perhaps the Lakers, if they got beyond that, like all of a sudden, yeah. uh, they would not be happy. About it. <laughs> they would be, yeah, I would think they would be, you know, they would get to play Orlando in the first round. So that's a, that's a layup for them. But then all of a sudden it gets, it gets really hard after that. Some really, really tough uh, scenarios. I think Indiana and Denver is another first round possibility. I mean, like all of the matchups are great. Houston and Utah, Utah and Houston. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we, we Familiar photos there. 180 yeah. degrees, but they still somehow are playing each other in first. Yeah. Um, and just like to see what's happened to Utah the last like three months, it's just nuts. Like 
Yeah. Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, their beef, Bogdanovich's injury. Now he's done for the season. Ingles was considering retirement. Jerry Sloan dies. Like it, it's kind of a lot going on with, uh, with Mike, the Jazz. Mike just completely falls off the face of the earth as soon as he puts on a Jazz jersey. It's Very weird. Strange, <laughs> strange season in general for them, and they got it got weirder come March. But what I would also be curious to see would be, let's say they do go to they try to reformat this the playoffs one through sixteen. You know, if if you do that, is it just a one-off? Or if, as Spencer's saying, Adam Silver has the leverage here, like, is that something he tries to get set in place, you know, in perpetuity? Or is he right. just says, like, just for a one-off, you know, we'll we'll go back to Eastern Conference, you'll get your yeah. your one through eight, you know, going forward. We're just doing this for, for 2020. Like, that is something, that's another thing that I'll be uh, – uh, I'd be curious why, to see how that goes. And that's why it can't be too – it's a good point. It's why it can't be such a crazy thing that they try because it has to be at, at some level repeatable. You, I mean, that's the point you're making. You can't try something now and then just go back and say, well, that was cool. Um, maybe the next pandemic we'll, we'll try something else. Right. Like you got You have to stay consistent. But, again, they've already been talking about this playing thing. I just say go for it. If you can do it under you know within health standards, then why not do it? Yeah. And I think what may not be repeatable is the fact that they have all these teams in one location. I think, you know, some people, you know, argue that these one through 16 seeds yeah. could be, you know, placing a team all the way on the West Coast versus the East Coast and the travel. And, and some don't make a big deal about that. But I do think that it's very convenient that they have all these teams uh, in one location. And you can do the one through 16 regardless of kind of where they're located across the country. I do want to ask this question, which one, if in your gut, which one do you feel will be the eventual format? I know that Adam Silver probably has the final say on this, but taking all the input of the GMs and the and the organizations and the, and the front offices here, I, I personally think that it's just going to be a couple of like scrimmage games and going straight to the postseason, or maybe they might have a tournament for that eight seed. I, I definitely like the soccer group stage idea, but for whatever reason, I just don't see that playing out. I also feel like that format would maybe prolong the season a little bit longer. And, you know, we just talked about this, how a season could end in, you know, September, maybe even October yeah. or whatever it may, may be. Teams are going to want to get the most out of playing time and in playing down here, but also they don't really want to diminish next season. So I think that's where it's going to go. A couple of scrimmage games than the postseason or potentially that playoff play-in game for the seventh or eighth seed. I unfortunately don't think it's going to be the soccer style format. Yeah, Richie, I'm 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 with you. We're in, and we're in a very similar boat here. I think ultimately, for a variety of factors, and I've discussed some of the potential safety concerns throughout this pod, like I think that's why ultimately, and I, I could be totally wrong. I have I have no issue being wrong here. But yeah, I think 16 teams in some order couple exhibition games or like cross conference games. And then you jump into the playoffs and this has been gamed out by uh Windhorse and bond temps over at ESPN. It would take 55 days to play it all out. Essentially. Um, if you scheduled and staggered games a certain way with, you know, moderate rest, it would take 55 days. So that's one of those things that if you could somehow, I mean, hell, even if you start this in the, if you do start this in the middle of July or late July, like you're already going in, you know, into September and you're now all of a sudden you're competing against the NBA. Like the league is on, um, you know, a little bit of a time crunch here. I'll tell you this though. I'm sympathetic to the arguments of 
uh, we're we're a young team. We want to play some games with our young core, and we don't want there to be nine months off. You know, March to December next year when the 2020-2021 season would start. We don't want that layoff. And I'm also sympathetic to the the the, the Portland Trailblazers argument of you know we're or the the Pelicans. You know, we're a game or two out of the playoffs. We deserve a chance to compete for that. I agree. It's frustrating. It's unfair that you don't have that you may not have those opportunities if the league just goes 16 playoff teams cold and cold cut like that. I just don't know if they're winning arguments, man. Like I just, it stinks. I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I would like to see the Hornets play for a variety of reasons. There are team reasons and, and performance reasons why you would like to see them play more. And there's financial implications yeah. as well too. I just, I don't know if that's a winning argument stacked up with some of the other uh, concerns. I don't want to advocate against the NBA trying something new because I think entertainment properties like this should always be, uh, looking for uh, new ways to evolve and improve, especially in a time of crisis. Perhaps that's when you should be almost, uh, almost mo- most creative um, is, is right now. But I, I just think it makes the most sense to, because the, the because the, the paradigm involves a transmittable and deadly disease that risks should be at an all time should be low here. Therefore, sixteen teams, you know. Just go with that, and that's that's what I think will win out. Um, but I kind of hope I'm wrong. I kind of hope I'm uh, hoping that I'm wrong with that too. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful that they can figure out this kind of play-in format. Um, you know, get 20 teams involved. Either that, uh, or some kind of, and maybe it's something we haven't even read about or heard about yet. But some kind of format to where they can get as many teams as possible involved to play to try to get to that 70 game mark. Um, again, you know, I just say that because as much revenue as the league can possibly generate within, you know, abiding by these health standards, uh, I think they should try to do. And I say that on behalf of all small markets, you know, I mean, yes, there will be some playoff revenue if it's just 16 teams and yes, that will be, you know, dispersed among uh, amongst the league. Uh, but, but if you can pick up extra, pick up extra, you know, because you're about to lose at least a billion dollars in, in revenue uh, as a league. And you could lose as much as two billion if for whatever doomsday reason, you know, there was no more basketball this year. Yes, you can smooth the cap going forward and, and owners or players or both could could take a haircut and, and make sure that the cap doesn't drop by $30 million next year. But that nobody wants that. Um, and if you can do it, you know, again, and be safe from a health standpoint, then get as many teams involved as possible, I think, here. So I'm hopeful that that'll be the result. Well, here, here's my last thoughts on this, especially as it pertains to the to the Hornets and, and an ideal situation for them. And it kind of goes back to Brian's point earlier in this podcast. I, I guess it really depends on what you want from this season. I, I don't know if it does a whole lot of good for the Hornets to get swept by the Bucks just to say that they had some postseason experience. You know, even in a weaker draft, I, I think we want to get as high as we can in the draft positioning. You know, I, I think it's beneficial to get some run down in Disney and, and, you know, call the season and wrap it up. But, you know, with these new options here, it does kind of leave that door open for the Hornets to kind of make some kind of competitive run in this playing game to be in the East just to be knocked out by the Bucks in a sweep. But ultimately, as I texted today, I, I just don't see the NBA bringing down 
This is just my thought. I don't see the NBA bringing down 20 teams. I, I don't think Charlotte will be playing down in Orlando. I don't know if fans would prefer just to be in the lottery or if they would want to see the Hornets play some games. It it just sucks that they can't, you know, maybe play some of the, you know, the non-playoff teams. Like have a, have a different type of competitive tournament between some of the other teams. I say competitive maybe with quotes there, but, uh, you know, (laughs) you know, it can't just be like these intra squad scrimmages that they have at their practice facilities. I'm sure they're going to want to get some, you know, run. But again, ultimately, as we've all said, you know, health is probably the, the top priority here. And when you limit it to 16 teams, I guess it limits the, the outbreak of COVID in a way. This is such an old familiar conversation on this podcast, just in a totally different <laughs> sense of like the the value of a couple playoff games against, you know, the Bucks or in years past, it was, you know, LeBron and the Cavs or uh, LeBron and the Heat or whatever um, versus, you know, getting a, a good lottery pick. I mean, again, how many times have we had that conversation before? Oh. Just just in a, just under totally different circumstance, you know? Yeah, uh, Richie, you, you 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 said it well there. I mean, for the for the Hornets franchise, it's all about this balance that's multi-sided between the health risk, you know, assuming they're you know allowed to play. But this is their thought process of whether they would want to play before they know if they have the opportunity or not to do so. But balancing health risk against uh, playing games, the experience of that. There's the financial factor, uh, as Spencer has, has brought up a couple times, and, and getting to the, that 70-game benchmark. And then and also uh, the the lottery odds risk, which I talked about too. Like if, if they have one of these play-in scenarios, you make the you make the playoffs. Are you then out of the lottery? Um, you know, ultimately what the lottery is supposed to do is it's supposed to help teams that aren't playoff teams acquire assets that will allow them to in the future become playoff teams. We've established through, you know, 80 some percent of a season now that the Hornets are not a playoff team. You know, they need a lottery pick. And, you know, that a lot of that depends on who falls to them, how well they do with the pick. Of course, there's their big, that becomes a whole other paradigm then. But it, it, as much fun as it would be to see them go for it, I can see why Charlotte or perhaps some other small market teams are saying like, Hey man, we're good. Like, you know, we got, we, we, we need, we need this pick. We're rebuilding. Um, we'll see you guys next season. Yep. Yep. Well, the only thing I'd add to that, um, cause I do get it. I do get, you know, franchises that are like, no, 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 we, we want to keep our odds. We don't need to play any more basketball. Um, if there was a draft, I mean, assuming Charlotte went into this play in scenario and, and didn't get through still has some lottery odds. If there was ever a draft, God, seriously, I, maybe I can only remember like one more this decade that the Cody Zeller draft, if there was ever one to have a pick probably between eight and 14 opposed to maybe in the top five, this is probably yeah. one seriously. Like I, yeah. I honestly don't know if I want to be the GM making the top five pick in this draft. Yeah, I, I know what you, I, we, we've sort of been talking about that this season as well. Like, you know, the Hornets were sort of outperforming their point, their point differential, their net differential for through big chunks of the season and it, it, there was sort of this like roller coaster of it was exciting to see them compete in and, and win some of these games late because Devontae Graham or Malik Monk hit a, hit a big shot in the back of your mind. It's still coming along with the thought of, well, but hey, maybe this is costing them a, the chance to get the number one pick. And all of a sudden, you know, the number one pick is between Killian Hayes, Anthony Edwards, Lamella Ball, like three prospects that I that I like a lot, by the way, I think are like can become good NBA players. 
as we've discussed those dudes on this podcast, but like it's, it, you're still going to be able to have a good crack at finding a, a rotation piece, a starter. Sure. If you're drafting in this seven through 14 range. And so that, that same, that same thought process, I think applies to where the Hornets are now on the verge of perhaps playing more basketball in a very bizarre scenario. Sure. All right. Well, speaking of the draft, uh, Spencer has an idea for maybe future pods. So just kind of give us the listeners a little bit of a rundown of where we may be headed uh, next. So uh, we workshop an idea that I think you guys will enjoy. We, we've had a lot of draft content during this downtime, and I think it's been pretty good draft content. We've gotten some good feedback, and um, I don't know if we've cornered the market there, but we've certainly placed our stake in it. So uh, we are all going to create a big board with 30 players on it, and we're going to turn that into a uh, little episode project. Going back and forth, do we make it three episodes do 10 players per episode? Do we make it six episodes? Do five players per episode? I think a lot depends on, you know, if we start playing basketball, you know, sooner, sooner rather than later or, or what the news is in terms of basketball coming back. But that is coming. I think, Richie, the plan is maybe to start that next week. But but we might we might pull this on Twitter, too. I mean, I, I'd like to see what, you know, what uh, some of the listeners think on on how long we should drag this project out. But we are working on that, so I hope you're excited. I'm, I'm certainly excited to – roll out some of my surprises. I, I, I'll throw here. Let me do a little teaser here. Oh, gosh. I, I've this. gotten through my top 16. All right. And what I will tell you is that I have Theo Maldon ranked ahead of Cole Anthony. So there you go. You have to wait wow. to see where they're ranked. Um, All right. But, Interesting. But yeah, that's some surprise. It's, it's a fun project. There's a... Uh, there's a lot of fluidity with with this with this draft class, to be sure. And, and and dude, we might have like we may have three or four more months of this too. Like because once the NBA has this calendar set in place about when to return, that's when we'll get added dates on free agency on the draft. You know, so if that could happen around whenever the amended finals take place. And so, yeah, this is something that could be taking that will likely be taking place in the, the early to mid fall next season. So, yeah, there's going to be plenty of time for that fluidity to, to play out even more. Um, you know, that may seem hard to believe, but, you know, we've got a way to ways to go with the draft. I will be curious not to just sneak this take in, but like I will be curious to see if, you know, let's say the draft is set for some time in September, the end of August. Like it's going to be when after a lot of these universities are saying they're on schedule to start the fall semester up. I'll be curious to see when like the NBA and the NCAA move the deadline for when early entry prospects can potentially withdraw and then return to school. Like that becomes a, that becomes sort of an interesting talking point for someone like Jay Huff, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or, or DJ Funderburk at NC state guys that are testing the waters. They're not like real, real prospects right now. They have one year of eligibility left. Um, you know, they're probably doing summer school online right now and hoping to work out for teams. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something I think that's something to monitor, too, as as the draft moves into an item that we're going to see in the fall. Um, you know, what happens with the, the some of these deadline dates and depending on certain prospects decide to come back. That's almost more of a topic of conversation for, for college hoops than it is for the NBA, but um, still something to sort of have on the front of the mind. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat. If you guys want to support this podcast, go ahead and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and we will see you guys next time.